Welcome everybody for another Thursday afternoon webinar brought to you by the ICJ live from Jerusalem and um, as last week when the uh, world entered into a complete new reality with the Ukrainian conflict we felt we are changing our schedule to continue to talk what is happening in Ukraine how this is related to Israel and how it is affecting also the Jewish community that is living in Ukraine and also in Russia we have a very interesting panel and I think also a very fascinating program today we are joined today today by Miss Daniel Moore, she's uh, one of the leaders of the Jewish Agency in Jerusalem and a close partner of the ICJ in our collaboration with the Jewish Agency. She will give us an inside look what is happening right now with the Jewish community in those two countries and also what Christians can do to change the life of the people there. Uh, after that, we will give a, a short analysis about how this is affecting the whole world and also what Christian can do on a global scale, um, in particular also in regards to the Iran nuclear deal that is coming up. And then we will close it also with an input of David Parsons in regard to how is the connection of this conflict with Gog, Gog and Magog. It was even covered by the Israeli media. They say evangelicals, they say this is now the fulfillment of the Gog and Magog scenario of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And we will talk to David Parsons what is really happening and how can we uh, estimate this situation. So it's going to be a packed program. And Daniel, we are so glad to have you with us today. And uh, I know normally we have more glad days to speak about and uh, we have uh, peacetime projects together. But now we are really in a crisis situation. And please give us your insight. Look what's happening today in Iran and in Russia. Please, Daniel. So thank you so much, uh, Jorgen, and thank you really to, to ICJ for inviting me to speak in this, um, in this broadcast that you're doing today. I can tell you that it is so important for the world to not be silent and for the people of the world who care, especially people of faith, to stand up to this, to this horrible reality on the ground in Europe, far worse than anything that we've seen really since World War II to stand up and to do more even than just praying or putting a Ukrainian flag on their Facebook, to actually put action into their faith and into their words and to help the people of Ukraine. I know that you as the International Christian Embassy are standing also by the Christian community. And we as the Jewish Agency for Israel are here to make a strong proclamation of never again. And when we say never again, just be reminded of what happened in these parts of Europe uh, less than 80 years ago. It is once again time of war. Jews are fleeing for their lives. And to see the images of Ukraine and to know that my great-grandparents and their ancestors are buried in uh, the burial pits of Ukraine by uh, Nazi assassination squads. And to see that in that same area today, Jews again have to flee for their lives. We're really facing the greatest European conflict since the Second World War. And the Jewish agency is right there on the front lines around the clock, saving the Jews of Ukraine. While others are rushing out and finding safety, our staff, our dedicated, amazing staff are rushing in, doing everything they can to rescue, to protect, 
to shelter, and to taking out the Jews, whether it is through Lviv, where we set up a refugee camp, or whether it is through the other countries bordering Ukraine, Moldova, Romania, Hungary, and Poland, where we have our dedicated workers at each one of those border crossings working hand in hand with the government um, officials from the state of Israel. And there they are meeting the Olim at the border, sending in buses from the side of Poland, Hungary, etc., sending them into Ukraine to meet families, to meet individuals, to take them out by a bus, help them across the border, and then bring them to the safety of our shelters in each one of those countries and help prepare them for Aliyah. And as they are doing this, you know, it's hard to, to even, you know, imagine, but we have our staff that is normally based in Ukraine, that Ukraine has become their home, whether because they live there and they support Aliyah, or whether because they are Shlichim and they sent, were sent on a mission. Now to support their work, because currently we have about uh, 50 Aliyah workers on the ground and uh, just about four Shlichim, we sent another 10 individuals and Jurgen, I know each one of them, not just by name, I know each one of them because I work alongside them here at the Jewish Agency for years. Some of them, their expertise is Aliyah. Some of them, their expertise is Jewish summer camps in the former Soviet Union. They are all intimately familiar with the fabric of life in those parts of the world. And now they find themselves being sent diplomatic passport in hand to rescue Jews, to, to save Jewish lives. And they're not doing it also just for the Jews. While they are there, they're helping everyone they can find along the border crossing, whether it is just with a friendly smile, a bottle of water, uh, diapers uh, to change a baby, every equipment that they have, they're giving it out as per the needs that they see. We're working now in a 24-7 emergency mode. Uh, it started last Thursday, it went into Shabbat, and now this week. And we opened a special emergency hotline to life. It's staffed right now with over 20 colleagues and volunteers that are working round the clock, taking in calls. And just try to fathom this little fact. In just less than a week, it has already received over 10,000 calls. That's about 1,400 calls per day that this call center has received. And over half of those calls are an urgent request to make Aliyah. People begging almost, pleading, please bring us home to Israel. And when we think about that ratio and that just in the whole year of 2021, there were 3,000 Olim from Ukraine, we know that we are facing a major Aliyah wave. And we know that every estimate that we have made thus far is going to prove itself inadequate. We know that we need further shelters. We know that we need to send in more staff with diplomatic passports to work with the Olim and with the communities and with the government. And we know that once they arrive here in Israel, you know, they will be arriving as true refugees. We've seen this in years past with Olim coming out from Muslim countries or from other precarious situations. But here we find people that left with a baby and didn't even bring with them baby clothes. They have nothing. They have simply nothing. And one of the things that we're doing right now here in Israel, and that I know that ICJ has already started discussing with us, is how can we support those that are arriving in Israel to help them meet these needs? And this is, once again, a very special moment 
With the immense tragedy that is unfolding right before our eyes, we are privileged to know that we have the ability to help. Whether it is we have the ability to help because we are there on the ground, because there is financial support that is coming in from dear friends like ICJ, whether it's because that we have the state of Israel. Can you just try to imagine what it would have been like some 80 years ago if on those border crossings from Poland to Ukraine to Moldova to Romania, if, if then there would have been a Jewish agency employee there to help take out the refugees, what a difference that would have made. That's the entire difference that the state of Israel makes in its existence. And I believe that everyone on the call today knows that the fact that the state of Israel exists is not uh, some stately move. It's not a political uh, reaction. It is an act of faithfulness by God. And this is something that we should give true thanks for, that we are living at a time when we know that we can now help our people come home to the land that will give them a shelter and truly proudly say that this will happen never again. So I'd like just to close by, by saying just just a tremendous thank you to our dear friends at ICJ, to people that are with us on the call, to people that I know have already contributed generously, to tell you that come Sunday, 300 Olim from Ukraine will touch the ground on three separate flights. I can't even imagine what it will be like to be at that moment, but uh, thank God I truly hope to be there together with uh, Nicole and to welcome the Olim. And we know that there are so, so many more on the way that need to be brought here. And just to give you perhaps a little sense of what it looks like when, when, when there is such a situation of, of a family that needs to be that needs to be reunited, that needs, that is longing to come that is longing to come together. Can you see this uh, screen with uh, the picture of the car? Yes, so, yes, we can see it. So it looks maybe a little bit fuzzy. You see here three cars with a European uh, license plate. This is a little video that was taken just about two days ago in Budapest. And soon you'll see that the lady here standing by the car, her name is Masha. Uh, I met Masha a few years ago and uh, when she came to Israel to visit, Masha has been working for the Jewish Agency as a director in our summer camp in Odessa already for a number of years. She met her husband Dima at that camp. They fell in love, they say at first sight, they married and as proud uh, Jewish Agency uh, employees, they named their son with a Hebrew name, Alon. And they knew that one day they would make Aliyah, but they felt that they had a mission to complete in their home country to bring Jewish identity and Jewish education to families and children. Just about two weeks ago, Masha got on a plane packing a little suitcase and came to our leadership seminar in Budapest, Hungary. The seminar was wonderful with different Jewish agency counselors and madrichim and summer camp staff that were there training and preparing for the summer of 2022, looking forward for a summer free of COVID. And they packed their bags again last Wednesday night, thinking that Thursday morning they will board flights. Well, that did not happen. Thursday morning, they all woke up to the knowledge that their countries are now at war 
the Russians, the Ukrainians, the participants, whether it's from Belarus or Moldova, asking themselves questions, am I now a refugee overnight, realizing that they simply cannot go home. Most of these participants are very young. Masha is among the oldest. She's 33 years old already. And she, she basically fainted when she heard this news because she immediately realized that her son alone, just six years old, and her husband Dima are there in Odessa with the news coming in that the bombings had already started. She called Dima, she got him on the phone, and as he was answering, she could hear sirens around him. She became hysterical and Dima told her, Masha, I love you, don't worry, we are coming. I am coming and I am driving now with Alon. We're getting into the car as we speak and we are going to drive to you to Hungary. That's more easily than said, said, said than done because they had to get into a car in Odessa and drive for over 1000 miles until they could reach the border with Hungary. This normally would have taken about 20, 24 hours. It took them four days. And you can see here what it looks like when Masha is finally meeting her son alone after they succeeded to cross the border and come, come to her in Budapest. While she was waiting, we brought her a psychologist and supported her as she was waiting. Of course, we met alone and Dima at the border. And this is just one family, one family out of the thousands and thousands of families that are going through this anguish at this time. And we pray and hope that each one of them can have such a happy end. And we thank you for all the support that you're giving to work with us to make that happen. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for this very touching uh, report. And uh, what a story that is of the, you know, I can't imagine how it is to wait for days, not knowing about the life of your husband and, and son. This is, uh, and this is just one of many thousands of uh, um, stories that are playing right now out in Ukraine. How many Jews are living in Ukraine today? And uh, is there a difference of the situation of the Jews that are living in Ukraine or all of that is Ukraine, but also the, the Russian uh, occupied area like Crimea and the east of Ukraine? Uh, are you working also there or is, uh, how, how is the situation there? So there are about 200,000 Jews that are living in Ukraine and they are spread out in different major, mostly major cities. Like, uh, you know, when you hear these names of the cities now, you kind of associate them with how bad is the bombing or whether the Russian army is already within or on the outskirts. These are cities, you know, like uh, Kiev and uh, Lviv and uh, Kherson and Mariupol and Kharkov, um, all major cities in Ukraine where the Jewish community lives. Um, the situation with Crimea and uh, the eastern part of Ukraine, I'd rather not relate to this um, on this uh, call, if you'll excuse me. And the reality is that right now we are working with uh, the Jewish communities in Ukraine, with individuals through our hotline, with uh, community leaders and organizations that are contacting us, and we're working with all of them. And it's important also to say that we are living in a world where we're also interconnected and a war can sometimes make us forget that because it sets us apart. But actually, especially for the Jewish people, and I think for any community of believers, we are all interconnected. 
And so we also have to ask ourselves, what is happening with the Jews of Russia, with the Jews of Belarus, and that entire region? And um, when you take out people there, of course, there are no flights out of uh, Ukraine at the moment. That means you all take them to neighboring country. You have to use buses or, or minivans and then take them to Hungary and Poland. Is, is this how it's working? Yes, that's exactly how it's working. Um, the Jews are reaching the border. All the refugees are reaching uh, the borders and um, either just individually getting into their car the same way that Dima and Alon did already last week, getting into the car and coming close to the border. Or there are some organizations um, in Ukraine, for example, Chabad, that are helping uh, to organize buses. Or we are working with individuals that are calling us and we are organizing buses from Ukrainian companies that will meet a group of Olim in a certain location that we will determine together. And then that bus will come to the border, at which point one of our staff, one of our shlichim, will board the bus and help them cross the border and then go through the process on the other side. There are also cases that when those come individually in their own car, we also encourage them to join um, one of our buses. And you know, one of the things that's happening right now is that there simply aren't enough buses in, the, in, the, in those territories. And when we started with this operation, the cost per bus was approximately $1,000. Now the cost per bus has gone up to be even $8,000 just for one bus to bring out a group of refugees. Yeah, and I think we are, I'm sure if Nicole talked to you right now, there are some of our volunteers in Europe willing to go into Ukraine and assist. We have to see if that's possible or not. But um, everybody on this call, you need to understand, we are fully partnering with, Yadva, with uh, um, the Jewish agency in this uh, sacred mission to save the Jews out of Ukraine. Uh, we are very overwhelmed right now with the generosity of many Christians around the world who are standing with Israel. I want to thank you on the name of the Christian Embassy for standing with Israel and with the Jewish agency in this matter. And uh, there will be just in a second a link down in the chat section where you can see how to connect on our website and be a part of what is taking place right now in the Ukraine. Um, Danielle, you said in the beginning, this is a time for us not to be silent. Do you have a departing world for us? I know you have to run uh, to our meetings. Yes, yeah, so thank you so much, Jürgen. Uh, what I really want to say to, to everyone on this call and to you as, uh, as leader of, uh, of ICJ is, is thank you. And please, please remember that this can be a moment where Christians and Jews work together to right a historic wrong and to bring mm -hmm. about hope and faith to us all. And really, please don't just, don't just pray. As, as important as prayer is, please don't just pray, also act. Amen. And I know many Christians around the world right now, and we see this every day, every minute, uh, they are responding and they are joining us. And I think we 
We can help a significant amount of uh, refugees to come back to Israel. But Daniel, thanks so much for you, to you for the, the holy work that you are doing at the Jewish Agency. I know this is an exciting uh, time in a, in a very stressful time also. Uh, we heard from some of our staff people what um, Israel is doing also with the Ministry of Interior, which was really amazing for us. We got a number of our, our staff got this morning a text message from the Ministry of Interior. They said your visas have been automatically extended for another half year because we are just expecting a major rush of new immigrants coming to Israel and we won't have time to extend visas. So they had an automatic uh, procedure to extend all the existing visas and then to focus fully on this wave of refugees that is being expected in this coming days uh, to reach Israel. So thanks so much, Danielle, and we will stay in contact. And maybe we can have in the coming weeks another update what's really taking place and how we can continue to help. To Darabat, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you very much. And. Uh, <clears throat> This indeed is a, a, a challenging season for the, the whole world and uh, the Christian Embassy is, as always, this is one of the advantages of the ICJ of having our headquarters here in Jerusalem. This is one of our advantages that uh, we can react immediately as a crisis is hitting the nation of Israel. Uh, we are on the ground with teams like with the Jewish agency, people like Danielle, but also when we had the Gaza war or the crisis with Lebanon, uh, people were on the ground literally as things are happening, our teams are out there to help the people. And I think that's why it is important to have a international Christian embassy, in, especially in those crisis times here in Israel. Also one note, if you are watching us on Facebook today, or if you are joining us on YouTube, um, we have the following. If you are going on our, our Zoom channel, we have translation into French, Portuguese, Spanish, and Thai. That means if you're watching right now on Facebook and YouTube, and uh, you are French speaker, Portuguese, Spanish, or Thai, there is translation on uh, the Zoom channel. You have to click on the link. <laughs> Excuse me and join us there. And uh, um, very briefly before we continue with the subject, but David, that's another uh, one of those initiatives like, you know, when the Soviet U Union opened, the ICJ was right there to actually charter one of the early flights to bring Jews out of in 89 and 90 from the former Soviet Union. And this is another time and we are privileged as Christians to stand at the side of Israel. Yeah, uh, when the Jewish people were finally free to leave the Soviet Union, the, uh, we pioneered the, the route from St. Petersburg to Tel Aviv by air, uh, and it was really one of the first fully chartered uh, flights to, to come out within six months of uh, the, um, the collapse of the, the Iron Curtain. It was quite amazing. And uh, we helped with that mass aliyah, but right now this is a lot more urgent. There weren't people huddled in bomb shelters and whatever. And uh, I know that uh, what Daniela and the Jewish Agency are doing, uh, there have been Jews and Christians working together on the ground. We were part of that network, set up an alliance uh, to work with the Jewish Agency of Christians all over Ukraine when the Civil War started in 2014. And the Christian Embassy already has assisted 2,000 Jews, Ukrainian Jews, to come back to Israel since 2014. 
Most of them were from the, the eastern area where the fighting has been. This city of Kharkiv is one of the biggest areas of uh, big, uh, one of the largest Jewish communities, Kiev, Odessa, are uh, two of the other main areas. And uh, these people, they, they sort of, some of them have told the Jewish agency, look, we, we thought, you know, we were safe and we were fine here and Israel has rockets and stuff, but we, we realized we made a mistake. We should have come home to Israel. Uh, the Christian embassy over the last few days, we already uh, transferred one million shekel to the Jewish agency to help with those refugees to come back. And we do know help is continuing to come in. So, uh, Ari, these are tens of thousands of people. We are asking the, the costs for this uh, um, endeavor is much higher than a regular uh, ordered Aliyah flight because these are really refugees. We heard from Daniel, the buses uh, quadrupled or uh, went up eight times to how it was in the beginning of the time, rose from 1,000 to 8,000 um, in this crisis time. And then, of course, they need to be accommodated. Uh, and it's a, a, an initiative that requires extra costs. And so please stand with us. Your generous donation will really make a difference. Now, I want to speak uh, before I hand the mic back to you, David, a little bit about the um, global implications of this conflict. And um, on Thursday morning, I, I very well remember we were all waking up to this uh, disastrous headline that uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, I was reading the German news outlets and our uh, German foreign minister uh, went to the media, I think it was at 10 o'clock that morning, and the very first sen sentence that she says was, we were waking up to a new world today. And I think this is exactly something that um, we all feel around the world is that since last Thursday, there is a, in a way, you can say a new world order that is taking place. And a lot of things, a lot of assumptions that governed polit politicians over this last decades are radically changing. This past decades um, were probably very much uh, uh, dominated by a thought uh, which um, one of the great uh, American philosophers, Francis Fukuyama, he wrote a book, he called it, It's the End of History. That means with the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, it seems the only dominating system that remained in the world was free Western democracy with free market economy. And uh, he in his book described that this is actually the the highest aspiration of human mankind. And in a way, we have reached the climax or the end of human history. There is no much further development and we can't expect any big changes in history anymore. Now, he's changed his mind relative quickly, latest by the rise of ISIS and uh, radical Islamic terrorism. But I believe the times of uh, uh, this last week, uh, starting Thursday last week, show us that indeed that history came back with a full swing. Now, this time was also characterized in the belief in particular from Western politicians that you can solve the problems of our day with economic help or with economic deals or, so to speak, money. And uh, they felt that they can tame some of the uh, dictatorial systems in the world with just very incentive financial and economic trade deals. Uh, this is def was definitely the case with Russia. 
Russia. Uh, the German government was in particular very much uh, tending in this direction. They started many multi-billion dollar trade deals with Russia, and they felt we can somehow tame this Russian bear by just making them rich and making them part of our Western society. And then somehow we can tame this big nation that it will become part of us. Until last Thursday, when we all woke up to a new reality and we all found out there are nations that have other value systems than just economic prosperity for their countries. And I think it's not only government leaders, but also societies where you can see that um, you can see this even in the universities here in the Middle East that, uh, you know, those secular institutions where uh, terrorists and, 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 and suicide terrorists that attack targets either in Israel or in, in other areas of the Middle East, they are celebrated as shahid, as martyrs. This is not just in a radical mosque somewhere in Mecca, but this is taking place in secular institutions where you see there is a different value system where our Western concepts have not the same values for them like they have for us as we are growing up in a liberal Western democracy in the countries where many of us are coming. And one of the <coughs> implications of that is that we need to understand that the same realities that we see unfolding today in Russia, the same reality is also true for the country of Iran. In a way, the, the, the approach that Europe took to Russia, that is, they felt, well, if we can sweeten some deals with Russia, if we can engage them in successful political deals, in Germany, it was the Nord Stream 2 uh, gas pipeline that would have poured millions or billions of dollars into the uh, Russian uh, accounts. They felt maybe this would tame this uh, Russian bear. And uh, in a way, this very same assumption is in place right now with this new Iranian deal that is just a few weeks, maybe, maybe only a few days away from being signed. And I believe it would be exactly the same foolish assumption that Iran will change their targets and they will change their, their ideology just because they can some, make some nice economic deal deals with the Western world. You know, one of the uh, frustrated words of our German foreign minister in the day after the invasion, uh, she went up public and she says, Putin lied to us all. Putin lied to our prime minister, Putin lied to me, he lied to the American president, and we realized we cannot really trust him. Now, let me tell you, if uh, Putin can lie to, a Western, to Western leaders, it is definitely also the case in the Middle East, where uh, as a regime that is so open in recent weeks and recent years about their target to wipe Israel from the map, to stop Zionism, to dream of a world without Zionism, or like the, the former um, uh, defense minister, he very uh, bluntly said, Israel is just a one atomic bomb country. That means we just need one nuclear weapon in order to wipe Israel off the map. The Western world need to take those words serious, and they need to understand that economic deals will not stop Iran from their intentions. And let me tell you, we cannot afford again another day where the world will wake up, where they will say, like just last Thursday, oh, they lied to us. We didn't see that coming. We didn't really think he was serious about that. 
Israel cannot afford that, and the Western world cannot afford that. And that's why the appeal today I have to everybody on this call to talk to your governments. They are changing now in Europe radically policies, policies that existed for decades. And it's quite amazing, in particular in Germany, to look what is happening. The Green Party that when they, that came to power on the agenda of disarmament. They had uh, the Isaiah uh, logo or the Isaiah motto from the blouse, uh, the, the swords to plowshares. They were hoping by their pacifist uh, initiatives, they could bring world peace to every man. And they woke up to a new reality and the Green Party now signed the largest armament deal in German history, at least in recent decades, just this last Wednesday, uh, this last uh, Monday. And we are indeed living in a new world. And I think this radical reversal that we see in polit politics in regard uh, to their own defense system, the world needs the same reversal today in regard to Israel. And I think that's the way how we can show in the world that Israel has reliable partners that are standing with them, that they see they are friends that are standing with the only democracy in the Middle East, and that they can count on the best. So I appeal to everybody, if you have access to politicians, if you have access to papers, Please write about that. We just published an article about that in the Jerusalem Post that is available. Maybe somebody can send a link to that. And please spread the message. Talk to your government leaders and tell them now is the time to change the approach for with Iran because we just have seen what can happen if we trust too much into economic diplomacy. And that's a, a very personal appeal for me here to all of you around the world as you are watching. And uh, this is also another level of how we can engage in these critical times to stand with Israel and to su support the security and the existence of the nation of Israel. Now, there is one more item that was uh, covered in recent days uh, in the Israeli papers, also the Jerusalem Post. They said now with the Russian forces invading Israel, uh, there are many Christians now, they are dreaming of Armageddon and they believe that the days of Gog and Magog are upon us. And uh, David, my question to you, where are we in the, in, in the in this end time chart? You know, there are a lot of Christians, they do have those end time charts, but what's your take on that? And I know the Jerusalem Post quoted you also, they interviewed you on that regard. So, so what is your opinion? on that. Yeah, th thank you, Jürgen. Uh, yeah, it's right. Uh, if you go to the Jerusalem Post and click on Christian World, they've got uh, the uh, opinion column by Jürgen saying the it's titled uh, what uh, Ukraine tells us about the dangers of the Iran nuclear deal. And right beside it uh, is an article uh, about uh, is, it, is this really Gog and Magog? Uh, which of course is from Ezekiel 38 and 39. And uh, look, I think most of our uh, viewers, listeners should be, should be familiar with Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, which uh, many uh, Bible scholars or prophecy teachers, we just call it the, the, ba the battle of Gog and Magog. 
And uh, it's a very interesting uh, chapter. And as long as I've been walking with the Lord for over 50 years now, I've heard all kinds of speculation about this is Gog and Magog and whatever. Some Bible prophecy teachers say it's a separate war that comes before Armageddon. And some conflate it with Armageddon, where some large uh, alliance of nations come from the north down upon Israel and attack it. But the Lord destroys them basically by sending down fire from heaven. And even a lot of Jewish people in my 25 years of living in Israel, 35 years or more, almost 40 years of visiting here. I've met a lot of Jews who talk about Gog and Magog. And Jurgen, you know, we've had this um, uh, really a challenge uh, for, for many years, for 40 years as a ministry to try and lead a, a worldwide movement of, of Christians who love Israel, support Israel, but sometimes you see events, Israel gets in uh, crises and wars and whatever, and everyone starts speculating, very sensational, well, this is this calamity, or this is Gog, Magog, this is whatever. And sometimes, you know, we look a little silly. Sometimes, you know, people get disappointed and things don't happen and, and they, they lose faith in God even. But um, our biggest challenge is sometimes we Christians look scary because we're sitting here sort of rejoicing at, at, you know, we're on the brink of a nuclear war. And what the excitement is about, you know, is that, look, it looks like the word of God is true, the prophecies are true and whatever, and you get excited about that. But it's, you know, you're sitting there to a lot of the world, they're very afraid of us. And these books come out all the time that we're standing with Israel just because we want to bring on the apocalypse and we're thirsting for Armageddon and such. And so I think all, every Christian uh, Bible teacher, every Christian ministry, not ju just those involved with Israel, you need to have some integrity and so, and stay, keep your feet on the ground and, and understand these things better. When we look at uh, um, Gog and, and Magog, this chapter, first of all, the book of Ezekiel as a whole, there's, it's considered uh, in, the, in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, the Jewish Bible consider it the most mysterious book in the Bible. For Christians, it might be, you know, we have revelation and all the imagery there were for them. It's Ezekiel. And in fact, a, uh, a lot of the rabbis say you shouldn't really read, even read it, much less study it until you've walked uh, in, until you're 40 years old or something and studied the Bible for 40 years and all. Uh, and there's a lot of mystery to it. Ezekiel, he starts out, I was by the river in exile, but all of a sudden I started seeing visions of God. This is what he says. So, you know, incredible visions that he has, the wheel within the wheel and all. But when you get towards the end of the book of Ezekiel, it gets a little clearer. It seems to follow a certain chronology. And Ezekiel 36 and 37 are all about the restoration of Israel upon the, the Jewish people being brought back, and not only a physical ingathering, a spiritual ingathering. Chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. Chapters 38 and 39 seem to be a connected passage, saying much the same thing about God wanting to draw the nations up to Jerusalem to judge them here. 
and uh, it gives certain alignment. And then from chapter 40 onward, you have this vision of an incredible Jerusalem uh, that, that the temple in it and, and the city is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles and maybe even 1,500 miles up. It's like a huge, massive cube, almost as big as the moon, you know? It's so massive. And uh, so it, it, it sets something almost in chronological time here uh, that uh, whatever, uh, however you interpret the book of Ezekiel, you, you know, I think most scholars would agree 36 and 37 are about the restoration. Then you have this Gog Magog. Then you have this incredibly massive and beautiful and incredible Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, I think it's important as we look at Revelation, where Gog and Magog is mentioned, it parallels it. Gog and Magog are considered like some sort of principalities or powers. The Bible talks about this, but it also mentions a bunch of different peoples, Meshach, Tubal, Togomer, Gomer, uh, and, and uh, uh, Cush, Put, Persia. A lot, some of these are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 as the sons of Noah, the 70 nations that came from the 70 descendants of Noah's children and grandchildren. And uh, scholars have always tried to match up where it's this and this. And because it says Rosh in Hebrew, which means head or chief, chief prince of uh of, uh, you know, this Meshach and Tubal and all, there's been, you know, the, some have interpreted Rush means Russia or, or Rosh. Rosh means head. It doesn't mean Russia, the Russian people are Rus, but it does talk about an invasion from the north. And uh, so, you know, most scholars would say, okay, Russia might be involved in this. Um, I, I think, um, Currently, a lot of the speculation says, well, you got Russia and uh, Persia is Iran, Kush is uh, um, Sudan or maybe Egypt. Uh, you know, uh, was it Moses married a Kushite or someone married a Kushite? Uh, they're African. Put is Libya. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the, trying to name some of these nations. Turkey might be involved. But right now, the alignment of these nations and, and whatever, it just doesn't seem to work yet. And in fact, there was a better alignment back in the 73, in the middle of the Cold War, uh, the Soviets and all their allies in the region in the Yom Kippur War of 1973, or even when Israel invaded Lebanon and and found certain things they are written in Russian weapons, instructions, whatever, uh, the you know, indications that the Russians were planning to join an invasion of Israel that was uncovered when Israel went into the uh, uh, Lebanon, so, southern Lebanon, in 1982. But in the Cold War with the Soviets and their allies, it seemed it was a lot more closely aligned but scholars who put Turkey in there right now, Turkey is not letting Russian warships pass through the straits. They don't want to really be involved in this war. Turkey and Russia have a long history of animosity between each other. There's animosity between Turkey and Iran. Sure, they're cooperating in certain ways. 
but I just don't see these stars aligning in, in a way. Another problem with looking at Ezekiel 38 and 39 is it says Israel is regathered. That's only in modern times is this, you know, something you can say, well, here's part, part of the fulfillment, that they're dwelling in one unwalled cities, and this is true, they don't really have walls like they built around Jerusalem, defenses are different, but they, and they're living in, in uh, dwelling in safety, it says, dwelling in security. And that's not the case. Israel has to be the most vigilant nation on earth because their margin uh, for of error for you know some attack on them is a matter of seconds. The U.S. and Russia, if they wanted to launch intercontinental ballistic missiles at each other, each nation would have around 10 minutes to get ready for the impact. It's not much goodbye world, whatever, but Israel only has a matter of seconds of, uh, for, for uh, air, uh, you know, enemy aircraft uh, uh, racing towards it to try and prepare for some sudden attack. And therefore, it just doesn't quite match it because Israel does not, it might have peace with Egypt, Jordan, the, the Abraham Accords, something incredible happening there. But still, Israel is totally vigilant, the most vigilant nation on earth defending itself. And so that doesn't quite match. But the biggest obstacle for those who are speculating that this Ukraine conflict has to do with Gog and Magog is the book of Revelation, where John in Revelation in chapter 20 makes a clear, unmistakable reference to Gog and Magog and places this battle at the end of the millennium. And uh, it, um, it, part of uh, what's so incredible about this chapter, starting with chapter 20 through the end of the book, up until then, a lot of revelation is like Ezekiel, it's, there's a lot of mystery, there's imagery and whatever, but all of a sudden, John is speaking very clearly. When he mentions Satan, it's, it's during the millennium, Satan is chained up. He's then released to lead a rebellion against the holy people dwelling in the holy city and the land of, of Israel and bringing the nations up, and God has some uh, uh, purpose in it. But when he mentions Satan being released there, he says uh, not, not only the dragon is released, but this is Satan, this is the devil. Uh, he's very clear. There's no more hiding anything. And it says this is after a thousand-year period of peace on the earth where Israel would be dwelling in safety and peace like others. And even the whole concept of the millennium, this is the first place in the Bible, all the way at the end of our Bible, introduces, you know, this period of a thousand years of peace on earth. You can see it sort of hidden in earlier chapters throughout the Bible, but John is trying to be very clear. He says three times, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, and Satan is locked up then. Then he's released to re lead a rebellion and bring the nations from the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, up against Jerusalem, and God will destroy them by fire falling from heaven. And when you go back to Ezekiel 38 and 39, the battle ends the very same way. All the main elements and dimensions 
of Ezekiel 38 and 39 are right there in uh, chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. And I think that is a big obstacle for anyone who wants to speculate, who wants to sell some books about Gog and Magog in this day. Uh, you know, it's, it's something you have to wrestle with. And I, I don't think we should conflate Gog and Magog with the Battle of Armageddon, and the book of Revelation does not do it. It has it in Revelation uh, 16. It's mentioned all the events around it. They're all pre-millennium in the tribulation before the start of the millennium. Then we have the thousand-year reign of, of Christ in righteousness and peace on the earth. And then at the end, uh, you have this one last moment where God releases Satan and he's given a chance to deceive the people of the earth one more time. If, if you start, you know, you may want to speculate, why is Satan released? Why do these people? I just think people need to be given a choice whether they want to live with God in eternity or not. And they're given a same choice in a way that you and I are. And uh, so I think it's, that is a big obstacle to get around, uh, that it's in Revelation 20. And then I think it sort of, it really wraps it up, just as you had the regathering of Israel in Ezekiel 37, 30, uh, 36 and 37, then you have Gog and Magog in 38 and 39. With chapter 40, you have the new Jerusalem this incredible Jerusalem that's massive and huge and glorious, far more than you know, we can make in, in, in our own day. And in Revelation chapter 21, just after the battle of Armageddon, the great white throne judgment, you have the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, and the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. It's the same order as in Ezekiel. And I think that can give us assurance that we're in a very, very uh, difficult, and you have to admit it's scary, uh, nuclear standoff right now. The Russians have escalated it deliberately to a nuclear standoff in order to try and, and keep the West from interfering on the battlefield, direct interference on the battlefield. So far, it's working. We don't want to intervene. Uh, and the poor Ukrainians are paying the price, and we need to be praying for them. But uh, this is a, a, a tenuous moment, a scary moment. I do believe it'll, you know, however it plays out, uh, you know, we've had ward wars, we've had other things, but it wasn't Gog and Magog in any of those instances. Yeah, David and I, I think, you know, I remember like you, we have been growing up in, in charitable homes and I have a number of books about who might be the Antichrist. I think there is a tendency in, uh, in, in evangelical believers, and this is not just now in our time, that's actually as long almost there is uh, evangelical faith or Christian faith about speculating who, what might be Armageddon, what might be uh, the Antichrist. And I, I know in the time of Martin Luther, they believed the Pope was the Antichrist. 
I have a book on my book, bookshelf which said um, Gorbachev was the Antichrist. And then others say it was Obama, others said it was Khomeini. And, uh, and there were many different ways and many of them are not alive anymore. And I think it's just important for us as believers to stay sober-minded, you know, to be uh, um, taken apart by every quick wind of doctrine. But uh, I believe if it is uh, something that you want to compare I'm not sure if you agree, but it's Matthew 24 where it says, well, in the last days, there will be those birth pangs of Messiah. And this can be wars and rumors of war and, and uh, catastrophes that are taking place around the world. Jürgen, I think someone's trying to hack us here with this music. But, uh, you know, I, I remember a, um, a cover. I don't know if it was Time or Newsweek cover. Uh, back in the 80s, and it showed a column that the, the, it was a cover feature, and it showed a column of Russian tanks coming over the hills into Israel. And the article talked about how Russia was making tanks out of a really highly compressed wood component that was stronger than steel, and it would be hard to penetrate them and whatever. And uh, but that Israel had developed some sort of neutron bomb or something that that just uh, it, it wasn't a conventional explosion it just dehydrated everything all, all the water was radiated out of everything within the range of the explosion and therefore you'd have uh, you'd have tanks sitting here uh, with the troops in it if, if Israel dropped these bombs on them you'd have all these tanks sitting here that, uh, and, but the soldiers inside would have dissipated. They would have evaporated from the impact of, of this thing that takes all the water out of your body. And therefore Israel, you know, a lot of Bible scholars say, oh, this is, this is Gog Magog because it says uh, when this war is finished, when God is feeling, finished dealing with these nations, they'll burn the weapons of war for seven years. And so there was speculation then about Gog and Magog uh, it's been going on actually for uh, several centuries when the, uh, I think Togomar, one of these nations that mentioned was Turkey. It was the Ottoman Turks. They were the big enemy and there were Christians, good Bible-leaving uh, Christians, love the Lord, who kept, were always speculating and really, uh, you know, thinking it was going to happen in their day. I do believe we're in the end of days. The, the ingathering of Israel is the greatest sign. It was yesterday, today, it will be tomorrow. We are getting close, things are developing, but I think it's a distraction and uh, for, uh, from the need and, and what we need in this moment to start getting excited about Gog and Magog is being fulfilled. What we need is responsible uh, uh, action by Christians who God has raised around the world. He's touched your heart for Israel. You need to help us bring Jews home now. This is a perilous moment, but uh, our response, pray for Ukraine, pray there's peacemakers arise, and really reach into your, your pocket, your wallet, and help us bring these Jews home to safety today. David, I think that's a, a good closing comment, and that's also how Danielle started today. Well, she said it's good to pray, but we shouldn't just pray. 
but uh, we also need to be a people of action. And there's a very clear path that uh, we laid before you today. If you want to get involved to help Jewish people making Aliyah from the Ukraine, uh, please go to our website. You will find a way how you can undergird the, the, the way of the ICJ. We are in, in the, looking also in some other projects right now that we might uh, support that are taking place on the ground. But of course, our main focus is uh, to further Aliyah and to help the Jewish people to return back uh, to the land of Israel. We have a branch also in Ukraine, uh, our dear brother Valery, who is uh, leading that. He's also reaching out to all kinds of people uh, and, and meets them, meets their needs that are uh, so great right now in that country. Also our partner organization in Haifa, uh, Yad Esser Lechaber, they just happened to establish an, an Amuta, a non-profit organization, two months ago in Ukraine, not knowing what was coming up. They are also on the ground right now, and we are seeing what we can do maybe in the weeks to come with them. So there are a lot of ways how you can engage with us to support the people there. But as also, please pray for the peace of that country and that this time of crisis might be as short as possible. And David, why don't you close this session in prayer today? I think we learned a lot. And it was a was a, a very threshold uh, input also from Danielle. I see she's still with us. Thanks so much for joining us. And David, please close us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, um, Lord the confidence and assurance that we have in your goodness and your hand over our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word that indeed shines in dark times. This is a, a really uh, troublesome time, Lord, especially for the people in Ukraine. Lord, we ask that you move among them, that as they call on your name, Lord, protect life all over that country. We've heard stories and testimonies of how you are doing things. Lord, bring this war to a, a quick end. Uh, help us bring the Jewish people out, Lord. Uh, bring them to safety. It's a long journey, Lord. Help every moment along the roads and the highways that there'll be no trouble, that they'll be able to pass through, that they'll be able to get out to safety, and then we can fly them to Israel, Lord. We're asking for your hand, even in Russia, protect the believers in Russia and in Ukraine uh, that as they proclaim your word, your goodness, and as they work to, to try and uh, in themselves resolve this conflict, let there be unity among the, Jew, the, the, um, the Ukrainian and Russian believers and let them reach out to their Jewish neighbors in both places to help them as well because we know you love them dearly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, David. We will join again by people from around the world. There will be people from Argentina, China, Taiwan, Brazil, all over the world with us today. I hope this webinar was helpful to you. And please keep praying for Ukraine and also prayerfully consider to stand with us in this crisis situation. God bless you. Uh, tomorrow here in Israel is Shabbat. So Shabbat starts in the evening. So we wish you all Shabbat Shalom. And uh, may the Lord be with you and keep you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next Thursday at 4 p.m. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on our social media pages for more exclusive ICJ content.